0: Media today, Mike and Doug are going to talk about something that even takes our conspiracy theories we had known before and makes them pale in comparison. Hi, Mike. It's nice to see you instead of just uh, hear you. Yes, you're 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 a good looking man. <laughs> Thank you for lying. I appreciate that. I, I do know I have the face of a radio broadcaster. You know, one of the big theories is that uh, Bolshevism was created in New York City. And it's not a theory, because you can trace it back to a bunch of the money coming from a group called the American International uh, Corporation. And it was centered right on uh, in, in New York City. And it, if you look closely, you'll see it Some of those are bankers who recently got to New York and have tremendous amounts of money and they just don't know what to do with it. So they decided to start an international corporation and who did they sponsor? Lenin and Trotsky. This is very, very well known. But what you have discovered makes me feel sad that I'm a historian. I didn't know this, especially because I have a degree in British history. I didn't know. So I'm going to blame you. Please, because this is shocking. By the way, every Brit... And every person we've shared this with says, I didn't know that. So, share it. What is it that you found recently?
1: Oh, um, I believe I'm that- gonna, yeah, That's a great opening. Um, the conclusions that we've drawn from the evidence is that the Pilgrim Society created Lenin and the Bolsheviks as a useful political tool for further takeover of german and russian resources and that from the beginning bolshevism was a play of the pilgrim society and we now have that's what happened
0: that's quite shocking quite shocking because i have characterized the pilgrims as basically being uh, the british east india company pirates Uh, going in to take over the British government through the Privy Council. But now we see that they have this thing called settlements. I had no idea about that, but it seems as if they tried to make Russia into one of their settlements, which is
1: a way to colonize. And the Tsar kicked them out in 1909. The settlement movement was uh, something that was the creation of John Ruskin, who was an early socialist in the middle part of the 1800s, and he counts as some of his followers, uh, uh, Alfred uh, Milner and the folks uh, Cecil Rhodes and and people like that, and it appeared, this was a, a very, it was an early form of communism that basically advocated that uh, people from different class levels get together in communities and uh, break down, the old class structures that they were highly critical of, not without merit in some cases. But the point is they always appointed a master or someone who was the leader or hierarch of these communities. And and basically the that that concept really drove a whole new way of thinking that really borrowed heavily from Christianity uh, and somewhat from Judaism. And developed these communitarian philosophies but they they intentionally uh were intending to create some sort of secular society or secular religion because one of the things they talked about was the failure of love to be a moral arbiter or a moral guide and they were going to replace it and have replaced it by their conceptions of social justice Now, doesn't that sound contemporary?
0: It is so apropos to our uh, day and age of Bernie democratic socialism. Really? Is someone really going to say socialism and think that that's a good thing politically or ideologically? Then are you going to say Marxism, Leninism, Bolshevism? How about fascism? Fascism, uh, I've been recently looking into who might have influenced Cecil Rhodes and uh, Joseph Chamberlain and some of those early people who were just these horrible white supremacist imperialists. And so I'm believing that it partially was influenced at least by Giuseppe Mazzini, who was really more or less the true father of uh, fascism. He was the one who led the uh, the revolt in Italy uh, to try to unify Italy again and again and again uh, with the uh, Carbonari and with uh, Garibaldi. But he worked out of England again and again and again. He came back to England and there he kept preaching this type of um, social moralism that actually can never really take place in the physical world and leads to fascism. It leads to what we actually have in inadvertent ways uh, adopted into our own system here in America. So what you found was it's not just the American International corporation that funded Lenin and Trotsky, but you found some of the other true sources, uh, Mr. Peabody, who I had I had known Peabody was connected to Morgan, but I did not know that these bankers really were being instigated from the city of London to support this type of uh, s- social experimentism and yes. fake ideologies.
1: Well, I think that the 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 thing we have to realize is that what these people advocate as a political philosophy is that they want a a shared community for everyone else except them. They want to be on top. They want to rule it. They want to control it. But they needed a mechanism for controlling the masses, and they uh, developed various forms of, of uh communitarian philosophy I'll call it that whether you call it democratic socialism or whether you call it socialism or Leninism or Bolshevism it's all uh, of the same cloth and that's what was happening they were developing these ideas uh, a lot of them by a guy named John Ruskin who's quite an interesting fellow and he even developed some early experiments in community life in England and um i think these these guys as they were looking how to reform the british empire they really saw this this approach to be a counter to christianity and to the christian notions of love and and brotherhood and so they 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 borrowed heavily from the structures completely recast the definitions of all the words and saw this as an opportunity to push this this form of uh social control on the world, and uh, just so long as they, as the Pilgrim Society, were controlling it. And that was really the key. And so what we discovered in 1909 was at the Imperial Press Conference of 1909, which was the first of its kind where the journalists from all over the empire came to London ostensibly to talk about the cost of telegrams and the role of journalism in society and and the like, but on the side, under the covers, they were forming what we now know as MI5 and MI6 and GCHQ. That's what they were doing as a, as a hidden agenda. And the prime minister was recruiting newspaper men from all over the world to be the first spies for Britain. And that, you mentioned the, um, the British East India Company, well, they were still incorporating the British East India Company and its armies and its merchants into the British Empire, and so it, it appears that this this new way of organizing the empire was, uh, was still very much in play. And so in 19, 1909, they, they get together and their first meeting on Monday, June, June 7th of 1909, was a meeting at the Parliament, where they had a luncheon and they took photos, which we have, and they um, recorded everything they did, who was there, what they talked about in a book that we just recently discovered. There weren't many of these books um, produced, but uh, we found one in a warehouse, in a library of, of a university in the Midwest and in this book there's a list of all the names of the people that were at this first meeting at the house of commons and most of them were very familiar like lord lord uh, northcliffe uh, uh, lord burnham can you hear me oh uh, you went silent uh, and, and people like that. There was one name on there that we had no idea who this person was. His name was Mr. P.W. Wilson. And as we began uh, investigating this person, uh, we were shocked at what this guy represented because separately, a researcher in England had discovered this P.W. Wilson in the archives relative to the five uh, times that, the, uh, that Vladimir Lenin came to, to work and live in London. And P.W. Wilson, who was an MP at the time in 1905, hosted Lenin in his home during his uh, about a month long stay. And as we began to dig more into P.M. Wilson, we, we find at the time he was considered a radical liberal um, politician who was a member of parliament and he was a prolific writer uh, who wrote heavily on uh, what for him were interests. He had been an active churchgoer and had uh, was working very hard to fuse his ideas, his uh, understanding of Christianity with all these new settlement movements that were beginning to develop. And it looks as though they recruited him into the fold because by 1909, he was a full-blown communist. And this uh, researcher in England actually identified each of the locations where where, uh, Lenin lived and worked and what he was doing who he was associating with one of the uh uh, he even um resided on tavistock place and the that location actually by 1920 was the original office of the british communist party so it appears that the pilgrim society through this p.m wilson was guiding and um what's the right word, grooming Lenin to do their bidding in the what would become the Soviet Union, way before 1917. So we're talking eight years before he actually seized control.
0: What I found really interesting was that um, uh, Philip Whitwell Wilson propagandized America and was so held in such great respect by president after president, four presidents in a row, as a matter of fact, And, of course, he was, as you pointed out, he was basically a spy who was hiding under the guise of being a journalist for The New York Times. And I liked what you insinuated, that he might have been uh, the handler, the British handler of William Stevenson, intrepid. An amazing thought because uh, William Stevenson went up to Canada and what was he involved in? Broadcasting. And that was absolutely amazing. But I think what you have found, Is something that most people had no idea existed, which is that the city of London and the banksters were the incubators of Lenin, Marx, Stalin, uh, a whole group of them, uh, and also uh, allowed Mazzini to stay there, who was basically the person who started when he founded Young Italy, Young Germany, Young Turkey, Young Turks. He founded these organizations that became radical fascist organizations that overthrew the government. Uh, And in in a way, he certainly was an anti-monarchist. And I started thinking, well, here you got this great fascist. He's in Britain. And again and again, he's given money and he gets into Italy and he's trying to overthrow literally the Pope and everyone in Italy so that he can uh, unite them as one underneath him. Bonito Mussolini followed in his footsteps, Hitler followed in his footsteps, but then I started thinking, wait a second, wait a second, not only are the British certainly key uh, people in creating the ideas of utopias from Thomas More to uh, Francis Bacon to uh, so many others, that there's a utopian side of that, but that's what is for the masses. That is... That is what's for the diluted masses. That is basically their opium. But it was this movement of the pilgrim society to create settlements that created kibbutz, that created settlements all over the British kingdom that was losing their foothold. And these settlements are really the pilgrims sent out from Britain in a way to these places to simply settle them for who? For the Brits. So the Zionists who really founded, and you look back to the uh, Pikes uh, 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 agreement from Versailles and Balfour and all these people who were involved in creating Zionism and Israel, well, that's a settlement. And the kibbutz system is simply an extension of the Pilgrim Society attempting further political colonization of the world against even British interests. I mean, they sent Lord Milner to give money to the czar so that the monarchy wouldn't fall. What happened? Lord Milner, one man, said no. And then we see that they prepared linen, again and again, gave him money, sheltered him again and again and again, especially by this particular uh, journalist spy, uh, Philip Whitwell Wilson. And then we see that they gave him money, put him on a train, and the money... At least a good portion of it came from the American International Corporation, which is well known. But we now find out that it came from probably Peabody and Rothschild and uh, uh, the perhaps Morgan. Uh, Morgan's.
1: Uh, uh, it came from J. J. P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J. P. Uh, J. P. Not Peabody was uh, was gone, long gone. He died in Queen Victoria's day. But the bank he started became yeah. J. P. Morgan.
0: Yeah. I never knew that. I couldn't. I never knew who George uh, Peabody was, but I did know that the, the Morgans were, of course, enriched again by Rothschilds when they crossed the ocean, but I did not know that they actually were from that Peabody money and that the Peabody money, you might want to tell them where that came from because that is as crooked and it's basically the archetypal example of patent theft and creating a monopoly for a government and then trying to uh, move it back and forth across the Atlantic so that nobody really knows who owns it. And nobody knows who actually takes the cash from companies in America that you think are American companies, but they're not. And that is mean yeah. Peabody came to his wealth, wasn't it?
1: These, yeah. These oligarchs all learned a long time ago. What One of the things that uh, it's becoming very clear is that uh, when you don't think about history, you think it's, irrelevant to you today, but when you actually read what was going on back then, there was a lot of foment around how to create and maintain wealth. And one of the things that these guys saw hundreds of years ago was that intellectual property and patents and copyrights were gold for them in addition to actual gold and silver, but that the uh, ideas that created companies and created new products where where they needed to play and so we have people like jp morgan who actually provided some cash to even um uh inventors like uh tesla and and yet he underfunded him he consistently underfunded him and that an that is another play that i've actually experienced myself in that, uh, when money people want to control a piece of technology, one of the things they can do is come in and underfund you until you run out of gas, and then at that point they can grab up the technology cheap. That didn't happen in our case because I didn't tell anybody what I was doing, and uh, intentionally so, uh, because I had experienced in in the in the 90s with AT&T that every idea I had, uh, they were walking behind me with a push broom sweeping it all up into their next uh, product idea and once I got wise to that I stopped telling them and and that I think that was a surprise when in uh, 2000 we we actually brought the patent idea to Chandler but the point is and Chandler was really one of the key keepers of the patents for the pilgrim society here in this country I've concluded that and this idea of these lawyers and judges and courts protecting these oligarchs with any idea they want to steal goes back hundreds of years this isn't a new idea and and yet they've been very successful at fooling young entrepreneurs into thinking the system will protect them when in fact it's the opposite and has been for hundreds of years
0: Sounds like George Peabody was the um, the evil bankster behind the Marconi ripoff of Tesla's wireless, which then got bounced back and forth across the ocean until it became GE and then became Circo and then who knows. But I do know one thing: when I worked for the NSA, we worked for GE. Right? <laughs> if GE is actually the Brits, uh, that's explainable through what you've discovered with the uh, was it 1945 1946 uh, Five Eyes agreement. So, you know, what we're seeing here is really the incubation of a variety of things. Fake news, so ensconced that fake news literally becomes the basis of corporate intelligence. You're seeing uh, corporate espionage on a huge scale. You're seeing basically um, pirate mercantilism meld into a government but doesn't want to be controlled by the government of Britain. So it just controls Britain through the Privy Council. Right. And then that sets up a system which basically is very old. And it goes back to the uh, Venetian bankers and the bankers of Florence and the Italian bankers. And that's what led to this, uh, these ideas of basically fascism that comes out of banking because the bankers made their big money by war. And so if you look at a Mazzini, his Most of his life, he was a fascist. Most of his life was what? One war after the next. But then I thought, well, we can't just blame this on the Italians. So then I realized, who is one of the greatest fascists of of any time? Oliver Cromwell. My goodness. We have the British actually claiming that there are many, many, many British fascist organizations. I don't know that people know that. Dozens of them. And so the Brits, were they were into national socialism because they were into fascism. And they learned it from their own people who again and again would come in and say, well, now we're going to be Anglican. Now we're going to be Catholic. Now we're going to be Anglican. Oh, by the way, as we are shifting back and forth, we're going to kill the others who aren't what we are. Well, that is the worst form of religious fascism that you can possibly imagine. It's political. It's not even driven by ecclesiastical ideas. So we can see this type of fascism, already had its roots in Britain, but who knew that literally a British spy was helping incubate linen again and again in London. That to me is. Right.
1: Well, the uh, I've shared my past and I used to be in a gospel music group and we actually took groups into the Soviet union. And what I, uh, I am quite incensed about is the fact that by the time we went in, Lenin's portrait was plastered everywhere, everywhere, every corner, e- everywhere, you saw some uh, uh, sensationalized, m- what we would call a meme of Lenin in some majestic pose, supposedly guiding the people into the future. And everybody knew it was a joke. Uh, but uh, the government shoved it down their throats. So I did not have a good feeling about Lenin and never have. Uh, or Leonard, Leonid Brezhnev was also on uh, many posters, but he wasn't as popular a figure for propaganda. But what we're seeing here now is that Lenin himself may have been duped by the Pilgrim Society. And it does jive with a lot of the things we've read about how the bankers were funding Lenin as he went back to power because when he took over in the Bolshevik Re- Revolution, that, they didn't have that many people involved. But now we see that Lord Milner was working very hard on the side to make sure that he undermined the Tsar's uh, government, and in fact, the the President of the Russian Duma and many of the members of Parliament in the Russian Duma were actually meeting at the House of Commons during the Imperial Press Conference. So what it looks like is that there was an entire plan being developed on how the Pilgrim Society was going to um, support revolutionaries in Russia to take down the Tsar very intentionally, and they would install an atheist government, and that would be the quickest way to to uh, to battle Christianity. So by the time I started working in the Soviet Union, I, I'm gonna I'm not going to get this number right, but uh, well over half of the churches, the Orthodox churches in the in Russia, had been wiped out in the Soviet Union. W- were used as theaters were desecrated, were, were bombed out, were destroyed. And, and Christianity was actively being attacked. And I experienced some of that myself, but my friends who were in the Soviet Union were, were indeed persecuted for the simple act of wanting to live a faithful life and live an honest life. They were They were persecuted relentlessly by this government. And now to learn that the Pilgrim Society may have been the power behind that throne is absolutely blowing my mind, and I'm not sure how to react yet.
0: Well, the way I react is I think back on my education in British history, and I realize that as Mazzini was sending out his fascist material, he was the number one propagandist of his time. And he was giving them a perfect example of how to do what they wanted to do, which was basically use the excuse of this pilgrim society, this uh, mercantile piratism as I would characterize it, use basically ineffectual political and economic ideologies of Marxism, of Leninism, of Bolshevism, and use it against the enemies of Britain. And essentially set up a situation where they would destabilize other countries for the sake of taking advantage of them. And we know that was basically to overrun Russia and to get control of Russia because the Germans had said they were going to take control of Russia. And Britain said, if you do, that'll make you much too powerful. So we can see even before the British started their war propaganda before World War I. We can see that the corporations had their propaganda against Germany to stop German imperialism, not to say that the Germans were any better than the British with their uh, hegemony and their with their ideas of uh, supremacy, whether it be Aryan or uh, Anglophiles. But to add the American Anglo alliance to what it was that was being incubated and percolated in London as fake ideologies because remember communism has never worked there's no there's no example anywhere that fascism socialism communism or marxism has ever worked anywhere for any uh period of time without totalitarianism coming in or uh dictators or oligarchs or uh, you know basically political mafia so what we i am seeing from this and it's waking me up to the fact that the minute that they understood that the corporations through banks could not only control the propaganda that would control markets, but could also then create wars through yellow journalism, uh, hide wars through the same yellow journalism. They became so powerful that I think it went completely to their heads. And now we have dynasties of these people who've been doing it now for decades. And you've pointed out these dynasties uh, better than anybody I've ever seen. So this is not a conspiracy. We are saying that the ideologies that have taken down the lives of hundreds of millions of people were a planned conspiracy of basically corporate colonization centered out of England. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, 1909 is, is the uh, ground zero. And I think that um, uh, what we're seeing, th- this clue that uh, Philip, um Whitwell Wilson was Lenin's handler is very strong. He certainly was associated with him. And because he was what they called the prime mover of the first day of the Imperial press conference that places him at ground zero, uh, right prior to the formation of MI5 and MI6 and GCHQ. And so this, this, uh, unholy brew, of press and intelligence and political machinations uh looking to preserve some notion of a british empire come hell or high water uh appears to have been their intention all along when you actually read the notes of this meeting you're you're left with this sense that the this was one big chamber of commerce pr event to get the the uh, colonies to support this coming war. And it looks like they were already planning to take down Russia. And it was just a matter of time on how they did it. So they were laying the groundwork. And Whitwell Wilson was a key player because right after 1917, when the Bolsheviks took over, Whitwell Wilson went to work for the New York Times in New York. And then for the next uh, 38 years, he worked with the New York Times and yet the history on him is completely absent you can't find him anywhere i haven't found anybody that's ever heard of him uh and that is consistent with what we've seen about the histories of intelligence these are the most these are the most convoluted histories you can possibly ever read they leave out big gap anything that could be embarrassing to them they leave out and so therefore I think we're gonna have to rethink and relearn our histories for at least the last 150 years, because what we have is pure BS.
0: I like to call, oh, I'm sorry. I like to call Philip uh, Whitwell Wilson Flip Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the hidden Wilson. And then there's the Woodrow Wilson, who was the absolute imbecile, uh, the academic who became president who was controlled by Colonel House, who was not a colonel and was not an American. He was a true loyalist. And what he did was, of course, Woodrow Wilson said, you know, we're not going to enter the war. And what happened? Then they propagandized America so thoroughly that Mm -hmm. literally a few weeks after he was reelected on the platform of non-interventionism, on isolationism, he immediately went into the war. Well, he was completely controlled by Colonel House. And Colonel House... Was directly work. He was, a, of course, a pilgrim and was working with the pilgrims, and particularly Flip Wilson. And the other thing is that House had convinced Wilson that the smartest people in our country were the richest. So therefore, he took the Carnegie and he took the Rockefellers and he took their lawyers and he took all these people and he created a group called the Inquiry. Well, that was the, the foundation of what later became the Council on Foreign mm-hmm. Relations, which is nothing more than an extension of the British roundtable system. Let me interrupt
1: you, because uh, the a, a key figure in this is the other uh, prime mover of the first day at the press conference, and that was Sir uh, Gilbert Parker. And and he and, and Whitwell Wilson were the organizers of that day, and Parker... In 1914, was take uh, was assigned to handle all propaganda of Americans uh, in the run-up to and the execution of World War One, and we have a very detailed report that he created in 1916 that described the level of his activity and it was extensive and we've talked about this before but they developed this 16-point list uh like uh uh, the rules for radicals that uh described how they were going to cause america to change its mind about britain and about supporting world war one so we have been bombarded by these people from fleet street for well over 120 years
0: you take george soros's seven steps of how to overthrow a duly elected government which usually is centered around elections and then you add the 10 or 12 steps of perception management you have those 16 points yes they back then laid out exactly what it would take to completely control public opinion and manipulate it
1: and it and was sophisticated it wasn't it wasn't crude at all that's the other thing people need to realize. It was a long time ago, but it wasn't crude. They knew what they were doing.
0: And then we have Jeffrey Patty and Lord Mark Malik Brown, two of the yeah. biggest propagandists on the face of the earth.
1: They just they're carried just, on.
0: Carried on their tradition. And this is literally family traditions in so many of these cases. So the banksters marry into bankster families and the the yep. people in the news marry into people in the news. Why? Because they're all intelligence agents. Uh, Look at the way that uh, Peter struck third-generation spy for America. I mean, why is it that because your parents worked in the FBI, you're going to work in the FBI? It's because you know the secrets. You know the lies. You know who's on the committee if you're in Britain, because very few people do actually know who is running Britain. And what we have found is that it seems as if as was posted in uh, the CAT report yesterday, there are two types of rules that can come out or mm, what would you call them? Decisions coming out of the Privy Council. One that is in the name of the Privy Council, uh, in uh, of the Privy Council, and the other one is in the Privy Council. So literally in the Privy Council means the queen nodded her head yes and participated. But then she can get out of any crime by saying it was of the Privy Council. And so I believe that when the British East India Company melded into the British government, they realized that they not only could control the British government, they needed to control the monarchy. And the reason that we still have a monarchy is because I believe that the British Privy Council, the Queen's Privy Council, working with Fleet Street and working with these fake news routes that you've discovered, working with the incubators of fake ideologies that have taken millions of lives, I'm not even sure that the Queen truly knows what her Privy council has done, but you I have shown they, they have.
1: I think the monarch is a useful tool, has been a useful tool since this 1909 time frame, that uh, the Cecil Rhodes' vision of a federal corporate government uh, of the English-speaking peoples is still very much in play, and they're ta- trying to take down President Trump right now. I think we have not seen a st- – they haven't stopped since the the first uh, decade of the last century, and they're still at it. And it's the same money people. I mean, when you look at the list of names of the newspapers that were a part of the Empire Press Union in 1909, it's the same names today. Daily Telegraph, uh, BBC wasn't there yet. Daily Telegraph, uh, London Times, Financial Times, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Uh, these people, these companies have been propped up because they are the mechanism that the spies use to keep control of the masses. They do it differently in a communist country than they do it here, but they do it here just as much.
0: You know, I've talked so much about the uh, Venetian methodology of the Doge, of the ruler of the inner group. So there's one person in the middle, three people around that. Those four people can decide who lives and dies. 10 people around that, and then all the oligarchs around them. Well, it so happens that they always tried to tell everyone that the Doge, the head of the bank, basically the head of the banking family, really had no power. The only power was given to the Doge by the oligarchs, who were usually uh, merchants or bankers. Well, the same thing happened in Britain now, didn't it? The bankers have taken over even the monarchy and it's happened in America so that the white house is ran by the senior executive service members. It does not matter. The 1400 people that the president appoints as presidential appointees have to answer to the generals, the heads of each of the 54 different federal agencies, and they are all senior executive service members. So, and again, uh, here in America, you have the same system that we saw what, excuse me, what I'm only now seeing through the research of your amazing researchers, and by the way, uh, thank you for being the voice of all these other uh, researchers and for all that you do, especially for the staff writers over at Americans for Innovation. And I know that my Conclave members, except for a few of them, you know, they, they refuse to speak because they are afraid that, in fact, the very people who control these mechanisms we're using and have weaponized them and now we're creating a counter-intelligence and weaponizing it against them. They're afraid of those people because their power is so pervasive. But the deal is, what I'm trying to get at, even the president before Trump didn't really know what was going on. The group around the president, the senior executive service members, decide what the bureaucratic status quo is, what the uh, political establishment decides. And really, it doesn't, even matter you can be placed there as a good person and still not have the power to be able to do anything so i have to now look back on what we've said about britain and say that with for instance crown gate and you know the british involvement i couldn't see any other way than that it went all the way straight to the monarch but i don't know anymore because now i can see a pervasive machinery that is an institution that has been right. around since the time of Oliver Cromwell uh, and basically has incubated every political crazy ideology that we have in our modern age, which is basically still to this day creating most of the wars.
1: Right. Well, and, uh, I, you, you said something earlier that, that triggered uh, uh, one of the descriptions of the settlement movement and uh, the, the idea of running these communities. One of the things that these guys said early on was in order to maintain one of these communities where you have the haves on top and the have nots um, uh, with their uh, universal income is that you must maintain them with intelligence and war. And that threat of war and knowing what they think is the key to maintaining a control of a society. And, look at what we have today they're they're trying to control our thoughts and they're pushing continuous wars and uh, as president trump has turned that off look at how vicious they've become they're almost not hiding it anymore and i think that is our opportunity as as uh, people of faith as moral people uh we must say no to this and we must call our fellow citizens to higher ground, and we must defund. The key to them maintaining the system is they've controlled the money. And what we have to do is defund that. And as we defund that, we need to start looking at new mechanisms that can deal with the uh, imperfections of human beings and their propensities to sin and to not do the right thing and figure checks and balances for that. But by the same token, we've got to establish um, a society based on the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is a very effective guide. And it's that simple in, in, in so many ways. As opposed to this stupid legal system we have now that's got so many libraries of rules that no one can follow it and it can be used to say whatever you want. Obviously our legal system is not a moral system. We need to get back to that on paper. Some of it is, but it's not being implemented that way.
0: And that's a principal part of what we found out were the controlling factors of fleet street, not only banksters, but courts and corporations. And then of course compliance with being able to manipulate the parliament. In other words, the government gives over to the corporations. Well, what I think we can see here is that on the left here in America, you have someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who is preaching sheer uh, sedition, preaching sheer leftist fascist. And remember national socialism was fascism. It was of the left, not of the right. So to think that they attribute Nazism to the right is absolutely absurd. It is as left as it can possibly be because of what you have just pointed out. The elite are protected, but they let the sheeple all believe that socialism is going to bring them a redistribution of wealth and they're going to get a piece of the pie of the elites. Complete nonsense, never happened, never will, not even in the French Revolution. It's just not going to happen. So the far-leaning left-hand fascism socialism marxism leninism russian communism chinese communism and well we can put other groups in there that are also fascist that tend to think that they're theocracies or religions which they're not and what you're really looking at is the same sources that support them are who the mainstream media. So when you discovered these things, it made myself in the conclave looking at this going, oh, this has to be true because it's one source, one source for military intelligence, one source for corporate intelligence, one source for the fake news, one source for Leninism, communism, for Marxism, for all of the same nonsense came from the same place. Now what they did was they perfected what had been around for a while and then they shipped it over on boats to America and we are dealing with it right now. And what's shocking to me is that people don't understand how can you possibly believe in a Green New Deal when that is sheer psychosis? That is the power of propaganda and it is so deep that it's also religious. And so the Queen of England is the head of her own church because why? Henry VIII wanted to have more wives. This is insanity that anyone can believe in a monarchy that comes up with such nonsense. But the monarchy is probably necessary for the global takeover of the world. We had pointed out that either Philip VI of Spain or his father, Juan Carlos, is already in line to be the, they are the king of Jerusalem. They're in line to be basically the king of the United Nations. But mm, it's probably more likely that it would be a Brit following along the lines that you know, came out of Woodrow Wilson's inquiry that led to the League of Nations, that led to the United Nations, that led to globalism, which led to this type of propaganda, yellow journalism that was led by Jeffrey Paddy and uh, Lord Mark Malick Brown, some of the chief propagandists of the world. And so is it possible that even the British monarchy is being played by these people? Oh, I yeah.
1: I think I'm concluding that's what's going on here. The Pilgrim Society uses the Privy Council. You know, the Privy Council has a separate court, a Supreme Court that's the highest court in the land. And so that is a very useful tool to keep all of their members out of jail. And they just run back to London and get exonerated by this Privy Council Supreme Court. So I, I think that the Pilgrim Society, the bankers, are, are using the monarchy as their useful tool and uh, will continue to do so as long as um, these, these uh, oligarchs uh, remain in power and who's going to check them? That, that, that's the question. Who's going to check them?
0: Exactly. And the same globalists who are doing it in England, uh, the really good globalists, did it to president after president here. Now, I must admit, uh, George H.W. Bush was as evil as anyone can be, and he certainly was um, leading the charge from America. But the example had been given for hundreds and hundreds of years out of Britain and out of Germany and out of Holland and out of uh, Italy and out of Rome. So what we're seeing here in America is basically an old institution that needs to die. Yeah. It just needs... To come to its pathetic end and we need to simply say sorry corporations you're culpable for your crimes and we now can point out that the banksters have caused the death of millions so those banks need to be closed their assets need to be hundreds seen. of millions hundreds. hundreds of millions yes
1: yeah i i think that the, uh, the the real culprit here globally is the pilgrim society and this finding that they even directed vladimir lenin in his formative days is 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 how much more proof do you need i mean communism has been the scourge of of the last 120 130 years and um, having experienced it up close and personal i can tell you and anybody who hasn't seen such a system that we don't want to go there it's 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 inhumane it's inhuman it treats people like cattle, and if even if you uh, haven't experienced something like that, it just doesn't make logical sense that you would want to give power away to these third parties that you don't know who they are, and you want to give them all of your wealth and and have them tell you what to do in exchange for some bread. I mean, somebody you ought to read Dostoevsky's. Uh, Brothers Kara Matsov and, and uh, the 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 Grand Inquisitor section, where uh, Christ was giving uh, the Grand Inquisitor was criticizing Christ for giving people free will, and and instead of uh, he was giving them bread and people were taking the bread and not free will. We've got to do better than that as as a, as a group of citizens, and we have a heritage where. our our forefathers in the United States did that. They weren't perfect people, but they had some ideas that they could strive to. And I think we've got to get back to striving for those ideas and those ideals uh, because we have seen a better system than what these pilgrims are attempting to foist on us. And, um, you know, I really feel sorry for our friends in, in Europe and in Great Britain because they seem much farther along down this path. And uh, it looks to be the path of perdition. And we've got to do everything we can in this country to stop that and and to turn around. That's the definition of repentance, is turn around and go the other way.
0: Yes, metanoia. Absolutely. Well, I think that because you have shown us where the roots of fake news are, the roots of the five eyes, evil intelligence agreements, the roots of the corporate dynasties that have come into our age, that we can pull up the roots because Trump tells us that fake news is our number one enemy. And it is at this point, it is the enemy of all US citizens. And in my opinion, the pilgrims who have sent out these settlements and sent out so many people, what we need to remember is that when hear the word pilgrims i think of the puritans and all those people who escaped from england freedom not because they went out to create new settlements for the monarchy of england so as far as i'm concerned i made this suggestion the other day and i'm going to make it again i think that every british loyalist should get on the queen elizabeth ii and sail on back to england and i think that anybody who wants to be a dual citizen of another country Um, no, go ahead. You can drop your American citizenship and just go on back to where you think you belong. And I don't believe that anyone who isn't an American citizen should be here. It's very simple. But I also believe that we should be asking many, many more people to come into this country in the proper way to add, because we are certainly a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of, uh, we're the melting pot of the world. So, Sometimes we sound like we're a bit tough on the Brits and sometimes it sounds like we're tough on the monarchy, but I'd like to ask this question. Why did all the other monarchies fold but the British monarchy didn't? I think the- They're a useful tool. They're a useful tool. And the British East India Company merged into the British government and basically took it over. And I'm not so sure that even they know how extensive it is. So thank you, Michael, for your great research and thanks for this conversation today. Uh, I know you're going to go out and have some fun, and uh, you deserve it. And I just hope that you put in a lot of props down there in the mines so that they don't cave in while you're not down. (laughs) Okay, Douglas. Thanks. Good to see you today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.